Christ is risen. Welcome back to another live Bible study on the book of 1 Corinthians, inspired by the homilies of St. John Chrysostom. My name is Father Athanasios Harris, and I'm the dean here at the St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Cathedral in Tarpon Springs, Florida, and I'm your host for Be Transfigured Ministries. Welcome to our Bible study. If you're new, let me share with you how it works. There are people in the room, which means if you're ever in Tarpon Springs, we would love to have you join us live in person. But if you can, then next best thing is always to join us on the internet. So our Bible study, as I say, inspired by the homilies of St. John Chrysostom. What that means is this. St. John Chrysostom, when he was the priest in Antioch, we think around the year 385 AD, he had a Bible study and these, we, although we call them homilies, it was really a Bible study. And so what we do is we follow the homilies, which follows the book of 1 Corinthians. And so every week we have a little bit of chapter and verse, what I call the text analysis. And then St. John Chrysostom almost always, and so far in many years, we've only found it to happen once that he has not done this. St. John Chrysostom then goes into some kind of a moral teaching, some kind of a relevant matter, sometimes because of one word, sometimes because of one verse, and I call that our life application because it doesn't matter even if we memorize the scriptures, if they do not somehow change the way we live, it is a useless exercise, right? And so we call that our life application. Now we do have a study guide. If you have not yet downloaded your study guide, you can do so at my website, liveanewlifeinchrist.org slash Bible-studies. And you'll see there our Bible study on 1 Corinthians. Tonight is session 24. Um, and so just click on session 24. You'll see a link for the study guide. Also, we have a live chat room on YouTube. Uh, you have to be watching on YouTube to participate in the live chat, but we invite you to do that. So far, there's already a couple people chiming in there on the live chat. And the live chat room is moderated by the most brilliant, the most talented moderator, the chat room moderator that I have ever worked with on this Bible study. My wife, Presidenta Vasi. So she's online. She's not here tonight. She's online from home. Uh, and she'll be moderating the chat room. And every now and then, she'll bump up a question that we can add into our conversation here. You will also notice that when you turned on the live stream tonight, you saw, you saw a advertisement, a commercial. Well, we are currently in the middle of a fundraising project that if we can raise our goal of $1,200, then we will make all our Bible studies ad-free, commercial-free. So there is a link on this uh, Bible study, our fundraiser button. Feel free to leave a contribution to help us become ad-free. Or you can also leave us a super chat contribution. Or you can go to our website, liveanewlifeinchrist.org slash give and become a monthly sponsor. All of those things together and we become uh, ad-free. So that is our goal. So you don't have to watch commercials every time that you um, 
turn on our Bible study. Okay, so session 24, it is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through chapter 10, verse 12. So we're kind of bridging the gap. And as I mentioned, this is homily 23. I'm sorry, there's a fly flying around me here. Forgive me. So homily 23. There is a link, a free link to the homily uh, on the website on the study guide. So you don't have to buy the book. Um, in fact, I don't even know if you can buy the book anymore, but all the, the translations are available free of charge on the Internet. Uh, oh, you came to join us tonight. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, I do have bad news, though, for everybody. It's not because you just came in. Don't worry. It's not because of you. But this is our last Bible study before our summer vacation. All right, so here's the study guide here, Michael. It is our last, study, our last session. I realized this morning that this building has been committed to a different ministry next week. So instead of having a, our final Bible study next week, our final Bible study is this week. So then you have the entire summer to get caught up to binge watch Father Athanasios on YouTube. I mean, after tonight, there'll be 24 hours of 1 Corinthians Bible study. What a, is there even a better way to spend 24 hours than watching me on YouTube? Yes. Now, yeah, don't have to laugh too loud over there. Okay. Um, Denise is already putting up her frowny face because this is our last Bible study. That's all right, Denise. We'll get together again uh, probably in September, huh? No, not our Denise. One of the, Denise, uh, the one of the fans of our Bible study. All right. So let's see. We talked about our homily. We talked about no Bible study next week. We talked about First Corinthians. I guess that's all that's left is for us to say our prayer. All right. Let's say our prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Shine within our hearts, loving Master the pure light of your divine knowledge, and open the eyes of our minds that we may comprehend the message of your gospel. Instill in us also reverence for your blessed commandments, so that having conquered sinful desires, we may pursue a spiritual life, thinking and doing all those things which are pleasing to you. For you, Christ our God, and light of our souls and bodies, do we give glory, together with the Father without beginning, and your all-holy, good, and life-creating spirit, now and forever, and to the ages of ages. Amen. Before we start, we have someone who's already agreed to read tonight. I'm going to give homework now for the summer. Okay? Remember, we always want to read the homily in advance. So we have all summer, but instead of reading the homilies, my suggested homework is to read the entire book of 1 Corinthians every single week of the summer. Okay, but not studying it, just reading it. Don't stop and take notes. Don't stop and do cross references. Don't stop and look at, you know, look at the footnotes. Just read it once a week from front to end, from beginning to end. Because it's really important, especially now that we're halfway through, it's really important that we get context, that we kind of, because when you're narrowing in on this verse and that verse and this verse, it's easy to forget there's a bigger draw, there's a bigger direction, there's a bigger picture that St. Paul has in mind. So since this is our last Bible study until September, that's my homework assignment for you two at home, to read 1 Corinthians in its entirety, even though we haven't studied half of it, once a week. So when we come back in September, it'll be part of us. We'll really understand the flow and the almost as almost as literature, not necessarily as a study. Okay, does that make sense? Understand? Do you understand our homework? All right. Okay. Oh, look, we have somebody new in our Bible study. Jada. Jada, welcome to our Bible study. Somebody, oh, I missed it again. Oh, well. Okay, so Rusty, if you can read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, through chapter 10, verse 12. Do not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown, 
Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware, unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, were baptized in Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate. The same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ, but with most of them God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things become our, our examples, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, and do not become idol, idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and I rose to play, nor let us commit sexual immortality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell, nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor complained as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken Okay, so in the study guide, um, you'll see text analysis, section 1, section 2. If you're new to our Bible study, that is just so you can find the quotations in the homilies. The section numbers are there because of the editors of the homily. St. John Chrysostom didn't use them, but our editors have put them in there, so I've included them just as a way to narrow down if you want to find in the homily where the various uh, quotations come from. So let's dig right in. Section number one, point number one. Belief is not enough. It must be followed up by action. Listen to what Chrysostom says here. For as there, though many descend into the course, not many are crowned, but this befalls one only. And it is not enough to descend into the contest, nor to anoint one's self and wrestle. So likewise here, it is not sufficient to believe and to contend in any way, but unless we have so run as unto the end to show ourselves unblameable, and to come near the prize, it will profit us nothing. In other words, and I think this is a really good point for our 21st century Christian challenge, right? Simply believing is not enough. It has to be followed up by action. Something has to be done. We have to be putting in the effort, right? And so this is what he's saying. You don't enter a race and say, well, it's enough that I entered the race. No, you enter the race and you run and you run and you run and you actually try to win. And uh, I think that's probably very counter to what many modern American Christians seem to think anyway. It's just good enough to believe that we don't actually have to put in any effort as if we're trying to win, right? I think, and again, I, I've said this oh, uh, many times the benefit for what we're studying here between first century Corinth and fourth century Antioch and 21st century America there's a lot of similarities there in terms of the culture in terms of the people in terms of the education level right and so for for St. John Chrysostom to make an additional point must have meant they were also struggling with, well, I'm in the race, isn't that good enough? Right? I remember years and years and years ago uh, in another city, in another state, I won't tell you where, it was the last day of Sunday school 
and we were handing out all these certificates, you know, this kid, that kid, this kid, this kid. And we had made a commitment that every kid who showed up, even if they had only showed up one Sunday, got a certificate of participation. We didn't call it graduation or whatever. Well, wouldn't you know it, this one kid shows up, hadn't been in Sunday school, not one Sunday all year long. So there was no certificate for this kid. Did I hear it from the mother? Where's my kid's certificate? I'm like, your kid didn't come to Sunday school. I will, I, like it was yesterday, I can remember the response. But I registered him. <laughs> right? And it's kind of what Chris is saying here. But I registered him. Isn't it good enough that I said he was going to be in Sunday school? Like, but he never came. And that's what Chris Estam is saying here. You're going to run the race? Run the race like you want to win. Right? That's our challenge for our Christian journey. Not just what St. Paul is telling the Corinthians, and not just what Chris Estam is telling the Antiochians, but we're telling ourselves. We have to run this like we want to win it. Right? So, belief is not enough. But there are some people here that they think doing their prayers Sunday at home is the same thing as coming to church. Right, you didn't hear her comment. Some people say who do their prayers at home is the same as coming to church. Well, obviously it's better than not doing any prayers at all. Um, but, again, and, and I'm, I'm not even going to, at this point... I will leave it to say, I'm not going to compare coming to church and not coming to church versus the, what I'm talking about is there is a tendency to say, well, I call myself a Christian and therefore that should be enough. Right? Where Christum is saying, compete like you're trying to win the race. And I think that's the difference here. Let's go on because he says some even more things even more important here. Point number two, since we're running a spiritual race, we must work even harder. So he's, he's continuing that comparison. Chrysostom says this, now if, these, now if there these things be so where the crown falls to one, much more here where the incitement is emulation is more abundant. For here neither is one to be crowned alone, and the rewards also far surpass the labors. Right? So if you're going to get into a marathon, and you're going to run like your heart's content, how much more should we be trying in our spiritual race? Because the crown is that much more valuable. The victory is that much more important. Right? It's almost like we try even less. Right? Would you, would you get into a race and not run? Right. And yet, we get into our religion and we don't even try. It's like the prize is even more important, yet we try even less. Right? Something challenging us, especially in our 21st century Christian way. Okay, section number two in the homily, quote number three. Our body is the source of our sin. Chrysostom says this, Here he implies that they are subject to the lust of the belly and give up the reins to it, and under a pretense of perfection fulfill their own greediness. A thought which before also he was travailing to express when he said, Meats for the belly and belly for meats. Quoting 1 Corinthians 6.13, that was several lessons ago. For since both fornication is caused by luxury, and it also brought forth idolatry, he naturally oftentimes inveighs against this disease. So, we're going to see a lot of this against luxury and against wealth theme in Chrysostom. Not just here, it was a big theme for Chrysostom in general, right? So this, this luxury, this, this exuberance is what leads to our sin. Okay, and so our body and the luxury when we're, when we're catering to our body is what's leading us to sin, is what Chrysostom wants us to see here. Quote number four, we should subdue our body, not hate our body. That's another one important thing for us here because, okay, while we acknowledge that our body 
is the source of our sin, we still can't hate our body. Right? So this is what Chrysostom says here. Wherefore he says, I buffet and bring into bondage. He said not I kill, nor I punish for the flesh is not to be hated, but I buffet and bring into bondage, which is the part of a master, not of an enemy, of a teacher, not of a foe, of a gymnastic master, not of an adversary. Right? So we're not supposed to hate our bodies. And I say this a lot too, right, in a, in a different way when we talk about humility. Humility is not about beating ourselves. Christianity is not about beating ourselves up. It's about controlling ourselves, subduing ourselves. And there's a big difference, right? So just because the body is the source of sin doesn't mean we should hate our body. Instead, we should subdue it. Point number five here. If the holy ones like St. Paul are worried, we should be worried. Again, practical advice. Now, if Paul feared this, who had taught so many, and feared it after his preaching and becoming an angel and undertaking the leadership of the whole world, what can we say? Right? I, I, I've never met any Christian who would doubt and challenge St. Paul's holiness and St. Paul's rigor and St. Paul's vision for the church. Of course, we're talking about after his conversion, not before, obviously, right? Because he was a mass murderer before. But if even St. Paul is worried about losing the race, we should be worried all that much more. And I think that's it. So on the one hand, we have, you know, holy monks and elders and nuns and, and, and we say, boy, if they're worried, what does that mean for us? You know, we see people in life and we, and we acknowledge that person really got it right. That person is really living a holy life. And yet if we talk to that person, if you talk to the elders and you talk to the saints, they all consider themselves to be horrible sinners. Right? And so it should inspire us, but not, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it shouldn't put us down. In other words, it shouldn't, we shouldn't lose hope because we see the Holy Ones worrying. It should actually inspire us to work harder. If they're working so hard, we have to work even harder, right? Rather than kind of giving up hope. Does that make sense, I think? I don't know if I'm saying it right. It is, but I, I guess my point here is, in what Saint Paul, what, what Saint John Christum wants us to see, is, again, he's trying to inspire us to try harder. And his point here is, if Saint Paul, whom we all recognize to be holy, if he tried harder and harder and harder to make sure he won the race, that's the inspiration for us saying, if he tried, we really need to try, right? Because we would sit back and say, St. Paul, what was he worried about? And yet he was worried. That's the, I think the, and again, I think that's a, a very relevant for our contemporary American Christians, you know, with, ah, why do you guys try so hard? Just believe, it's okay. Just as long as you believe in Jesus, you know. I mean, how many times do we hear that in our conversations, right? Okay, section number three in the homily. Let's go to quote number six. So here, St. Paul speaks in general terms about sin to include everyone and everything. So Christom is pointing out how St. Paul does his teaching here. And because what he has to say will be somewhat unpleasing, he makes his exhortation general and discourses not only concerning the subject before him, but also generally concerning all the evils among the Corinthians. And so that's really kind of doing a double, a double benefit here. On the one hand, he's speaking in generalities so that no one feels picked on, but he's also speaking in generalities so everyone feels challenged, 
right? He's not pointing to just one group, but he's, he's trying to bring everyone in because let's face it, we all have work to do. None of us is without need for, to try harder, right? Doesn't matter who's ahead of us and who's behind us in the race, we're the ones who have to try harder. And that's what he's trying to convince us of. Okay, point number seven. If the people of the Old Testament didn't succeed even after the great blessings they received, baptism and Holy Communion will mean nothing if not followed by life. All right, let me say this again. If the, old, if the people of the Old Testament didn't succeed even after the great blessings they received, baptism and Holy Communion will mean nothing if not followed by life. Now here in the homily, Chris goes on a long journey here. I'm only pulling out a couple of bits here. Listen to what Chris says. And wherefore says he these things? to point out that as they were nothing profited by the enjoyment of so great a gift, so neither these by obtaining baptism and partaking with spiritual mysteries, except they go on and show forth a life worthy of this grace. I'm telling you, that is speaking directly to us. We who have the truth. And Christosom has said this many times before, right? Christ has made it so much easier for us, right, that we should be even more responsive to Him. Okay, so here, if all of these things that God did for the people of the Old Testament, none of those were enough to save them. So, baptism and communion as amazing gifts as they are from God, will mean nothing in our life if it isn't followed up with a change in our life, if we somehow don't change the way we live. And that, man, that's a huge challenge. And it's something that, that we have to take seriously. We have to reflect upon. What does it mean that I've just received the body and blood of Christ? It has to mean something. It can't just be something we do. It's not like why, you know, like Maya said, it's not Coca-Cola. It's not just something we're drinking. It is the body and blood of Christ. And so it has to somehow change your life. And if it doesn't, it's not going to benefit us. Now, what we're not going to get benefit of this year, speaking of benefit, is the next homily, Chrysostom goes really deep into Holy Communion with St. Paul on what it is and what benefit it has. So that's a little commercial to come back in September, right? Okay, next point. Point number eight, the Old Testament images were types of the New Testament reality. Remember types, we heard about that in high school, right? The Something in the past is a type of something in the future, that literary term type, okay? Further, this was a symbol of the font and that which follows of the holy table. For as you eat the Lord's body, so they, the manna, and as you drink the blood, so they water from a rock. And so, remember, we always read the Old Testament through the lens of the resurrected Christ. We do not read the Old Testament in isolation. And so what St. Paul is teaching us here is that when we see the manna, that was the type, meaning the the foreshadowing, I guess is a different word to use, of Christ's body. The water from the rock was his blood, right? Obviously it wasn't his blood, it wasn't Holy Communion, but in the same way, right? He gave them manna from heaven, he gave them water to drink from the rock, and still they were not saved. Okay, this is that point. If it's not followed up with real life, there is no benefit there. Okay, moving on to section four in the homily. Point number nine. St. Paul uses Old Testament punishment as proof of future hell. One of the things I love about St. Paul and Chris is done both for that matter, is they're so brilliant at using all the different tools in their toolbox. 
And so here, if you read the Hama, there's this big, long discussion about the punishments of the Old Testament. And so what Kristam is saying here is, he's using that to show, well, if those punishments were what they had, imagine what we're going to have, right? Listen to what he says here. Thus, since most men disbelieve the things said of hell as not being present nor in sight, he alleges the things heretofore done as the proof that God does punish all who sin, even though he have bestowed innumerable benefits upon them. Right? So don't think that because, and this is, Chris Thomas said this in many times recently, in, like uh, we talked about it last fall. Again, just because God doesn't punish us immediately for our sin doesn't mean we're out of, out of, the, out of danger, right? If the Old Testament received punishment, that means there is punishment coming. We can't avoid the punishment unless we stop the sin, unless we change the behavior. Next point. Future punishment and rewards are worse than the past punishment and rewards, or better as in the case of rewards. Do you see how he signifies not only the fact that these shall be punished, but also the degree more severely than those ancients? For if one be type and the other substance, it must needs be that the punishments should far exceed as the gifts. Right? And so again, in this point, Chrysostom and St. Paul are trying to urge us into repentance. The, he, he's not going to leave any stone unturned to try and convince us to change our life. Right? And of course the context here is leaving idolatry and leaving the, uh, the meats offered to idols, right? Okay, point number 11. The parent of all sins is luxury and gluttony. This then Paul also does here at the same time, both reminding them of that sin and teaching that the parent of this evil also was luxury and gluttony. So there's this part of the homily where he's showing how when we, when we cater to our, to our body, when we cater to our flesh, it slows down, it decays, it gets sick. And again, this whole, our body is the source of sin. And so this is where our fasting comes from. And remember, we talked about this last week, right? Fast more to be able to learn how to, how to have self-control. But the, the parent of all sins is luxury and gluttony. It's a theme that St. John Christum has throughout his ministry, not just in this Bible study. Point number 12. We should endure all suffering with gladness. For what is required is not only to suffer for Christ, but also nobly to bear the things that come on us, and with all gladness, since this is the nature of every crown. Right? So go back to the idea of the race. Okay? When you're running a marathon, which of course I've never run. I've done a 5K race before, but never a marathon. Any kind of competition, any kind of athletic event, right? The work is really, it takes its toll. I mean, people who do, do marathons, for example, I mean, by after, was it 23 something, 23 and a half miles, whatever it is, it totally destroys their body for a while. But they, but they so willingly and welcome that agony because of the possibility of the, of the, of the victory. Right? Uh, the same thing in sports, the same thing. Anything that we really want to accomplish, we welcome the hard work. Right? So this is what he's saying here is that we should endure the suffering not just nobly, but with gladness, with joy. Because the harder we struggle, that means we're working harder, that means we're really trying to accomplish the victory. And this is why he's saying it, to do it with gladness. We lose the benefit, again, if all we do is wah, wah, wah. Oh, thank you. Denise has 26.2 miles. I was just corrected. Thank you very much, Denise. Question is, Denise, have you ever run a marathon? I know I haven't. All right, section number five. Our punishment will be eternal 
unlike the Old Testament. This is an interesting switch now, right? He's using the Old Testament to prepare us for the future, and now he's saying it's going to be different. Our punishment will be eternal. For this cause, he both called them types and said that they were written for us and made mention of an end that he might remind them of the consummation of all things. For not such will be the penalties then as to admit of a termination and be done away, but the punishment will be eternal. For even as the punishments in this world are ended with the present life, so those in the next continually remain. Okay. Now, before I, I expand upon that, I want to go right to the very next one. Don't be fooled. You can still fall up to the very end. Wherefore, even though thou stand, yet take heed lest you fall. For our standing here is not secure standing. No, not until we be delivered out of the waves of this present life and have sailed into the tranquil heaven. Be not therefore high-minded at your standing, but guard against your falling. For if Paul feared who was firmer than all, much more ought we to fear. So here we have the final attempt to rattle us to change our life. The warning, our punishment will be eternal. Our warning, don't lose that vigilance. Don't be fooled. Just because you haven't fallen yet doesn't mean you won't fall. Doesn't mean you can't fall. Doesn't mean you can't get up and fall again. That, that idea of the race, you've got to keep getting up and running to the very end. Okay? And so there's this, there's this juxtaplay, this, this, this image of run, run, run until you can't run anymore. Get up and run some more. <laughs> because if we stop trying, if we give up the effort, we will not be victorious and therefore we will eternally be punished. Right? That's the, that's the, that, that's what's it was trying to rattle us into, into repentance. Now, obviously, there are other verses where St. Paul and Chrysostom equally are giving us the good news of, don't worry, it's not too late. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. It's never too late to repent and all that kind of thing, but just kind of rattling and shaking us up. So this is where this idea of falling and getting up and falling and getting up, that's where St. John Christum leads into our life application tonight. So our life application tonight is, is titled, Help Each Other Stand Up. Right? So there's this mutual responsibility going on in the church. Help each other stand up. Okay, so the first point here, and for those of you watching at home, I'll put it up on the screen, is in section 6 of the homily, by the way. We have fallen already. Stand up. Chrysostom says this, For all are fallen, and to rise again they have no mind, so that our exhortation is not concerning the not falling, but concerning the ability of them that are fallen to arise. Let us rise again then, late though it be, beloved, let us rise again, and let us stand nobly. Right? Don't give up. You fell, just get up and keep going. I'm sure you've seen some of these videos of these people who are like crawling over the finish line because they just won't give up. They won't, you know, especially in these marathons, just, you see the bodies just totally collapsing, you know, and the finish line is in sight. And then what do you also see sometimes? You see other runners will pick them up and they'll help them across the finish line. I mean, what a beautiful imagery there, which is exactly what St. Paul and Christum are talking about here. Fine, we fell. Okay, we screwed up. But get up for crying out loud. Point number 16. 
we need to help each other stand up. Wherefore I beseech and implore you, let us stretch out a hand to each other and thoroughly raise ourselves up. For I myself am of them that are smitten and require one to apply some remedies. Okay, I mean, really, we're all in this thing together. And that's why we always, it, it's funny, because in the, you know, when you see the various TV coverage of, of, of marathons and other races and track and field in the Olympics, they're always showing you some example of this kind of heroic assistance. Where someone, because clearly, if you're going to help someone over the finish line, you're not going to finish ahead of them. Right? But this idea that we're going to finish together. And inevitably, people always cheer at that, at that scene. Come on, you can do it. I'll help you across the finish line. And what is the crowd doing? They're roaring with cheering, even though neither one of them won the race. Right? Because they didn't give up. They fought until the very end, and they helped each other get over the finish line. All right, next one. Do not despair, no matter how far you have fallen, God can heal you, right? So Chrysostom never wants us to lose hope. So yeah, we had this eternal punishment and all that kind of thing, but now we have this. Do not despair. Do not, however, despair on this account. For what if the wounds be severe? Yet are they not incurable, such as our physician? Only let us feel our wounds. Although we be arrived at the very extreme of wickedness, many are the ways of safety which he strikes out for us. So it doesn't matter that we have fallen. doesn't even matter how far we have fallen. Our physician, God, can heal us. We can't fall far enough to not be able to get back up. That's the beauty of, of, um, of God's love for us. Right? So point number 18, no matter how far we fall, we will be saved when we repent. Yea, Chrysostom says, and though we be come to that depth of misery into which we fell, who devoured his father's substance and fed upon husks and should repent? we are undoubtedly saved. Repentance is everything. Absolutely everything. And doesn't matter how fall, if we go tumbling down, we get back up on that horse and we, and we try again. Okay? So, the time for repentance is now. It will be too late after death. For if in the present life we exhibit even an extraordinary diligence, we shall gain the greatest rewards. But if we depart, having become nothing better here, even though we repent ever so earnestly, there it will do us no good. The only chance we have to repent is in this life. Once we die, Game over. And this is why the whole idea of pushing through to the finish line. Don't give up. As long as we don't give up, that repentance, that willingness to try again is, is, what, is what makes the difference. That means we're trying to, you know, we're actually trying to run the race. Does that make sense? All right, next point. We will not see mercy so long as we desire wealth and luxury. There it is again, luxury and wealth coming in. Let us not then trifle, beloved. Let us not trifle or delude ourselves, beseeching God to have mercy upon us, while we ourselves prefer both money and luxury, and in fact, all things to this mercy. We cannot, how dare we ask God for mercy, ask God for forgiveness, and ask God for an extra chance while we're chasing the almighty dollar. It's not possible. Okay, so we should really stop trying. Next, 
So this is where he's going to change directions now because of this wealth and luxury and he's going to talk about covetousness. Covetousness is a condition of the heart. But if you grieve because you enjoy them in common with others and dost not possess them alone like money, it is not money but mere covetousness which you seem to me to be in love with. Nor would even the money be an object of your desire if it had been placed within reach of all in common. This is a regular thing for him because the more money you get, the more money you want. That, that greed, that coveting, that I'm never satisfied. I think a few, a few weeks ago we talked about it is insatiable. That covetousness, that greed is insatiable. It can, that appetite is never met. Section 8 in the homily. Covetousness brings total destruction. Whence then are we to obtain this knowledge? From the highways, from the wars, from the sea, from the courts of justice. For she has both filled the sea with blood and the swords of the judges she often reddens contrary to law and arms those who on the highway lie in wait and night, day and night and persuades men to forget nature and make parasites and matricides and produce all sorts of evils into man's life, which is the reason why Paul entitles her a root of all these things. Covetedness leads to total destruction. We want, we want, we want, we want, we want, and eventually we are totally destroyed. Totally destroyed. It brings, covetousness brings eternal suffering. Such are their circumstances in this world, but those in the next. What discourse shall exhibit? The intolerable furnaces, the rivers burning with fire, the gnashing of teeth, the chains never to be loosed, the, en the envenomed worm, the rayless gloom, the never-ending miseries. Let us fear them, beloved. Let us fear the fountain of so great punishments, the insatiate madness, the destroyer of our salvation. Now here, Chrysostom did something brilliant here. In the homily, he's showing how greediness creates all of this now suffering. Right? Go back and read the homily again. You'll see how he's saying, look, in the now, this is all the suffering that it brings. And those things become eternal. Right? So just like St. Paul used the Old Testament punishments to prepare for the future, Chrysostom is showing us here that if covetousness brings suffering today, imagine how much more the suffering it's going to bring in the eternity. So again, he's trying to rattle us. Okay? And... If you've been reading Chrysostom every week, you'll see some weeks he's a little bit more compassionate to us, other weeks he's a little bit more strict with us, right? And that back and forth is a brilliant move. Of course, St. Paul does the same thing. And so we're getting rattled tonight. We're, I guess it's kind of a good way to send us on our way for summer break, right? To rattle us to a new life so we can spend the summer really focusing our attention. We come back in the fall to our Bible study and we're going to be that much more committed to the new, to the new life. So, that brings us to our send-off. And this is where we're going to be headed now through the summer. It is the heart that determines if we suffer. For riches and poverty are determined not by the measure of the substance, but by the disposition of the mind. And he rather is the poorest of all, who is always hangering after more, and is never able to, say this, to stay this wicked lust. On all these accounts, then, let us flee covetousness, the maker of beggars, the destroyer of souls, the friend of hell, the enemy of the kingdom of heaven, the mother of all evils together. And let us despise wealth that we may enjoy wealth.
and with wealth may enjoy all the good things laid upon us, which unto which we may all attain. Right? So it's all about what we want. It's all about our desire, our hearts. If we desire greed, it's going to lead to destruction. Right? That's up to us. What our hearts want, what our hearts chase, that's what is going to determine if we suffer or not. Questions leading us off into summer. Any questions, boys? I was going to ask about Use your microphone. I was going to ask about homework, but you gave that to us already. All right, so in case someone wasn't here when I gave the homework assignment, this is our last Bible study until September. So the homework is once per week, every week, until our next Bible study, read the entire book of 1 Corinthians. Not stopping and taking notes, just read it. Absorb it as literature. In other words, get, get the whole plot line, get the whole message that St. Paul's getting, because he's going to go from one point to another to another, that we lose that direction when we're digging in one verse at a time. So spend the summer making it part of you, and I promise you, when we come back in September, the Bible studies take on a whole new life, because you're already, already going to see where Chrysostom is headed. You're already going to see where St. Paul is going because you already saw where he brought us, right? And again, our first Bible study back will be homily 24, and it's going to be talking about Holy Communion and the reality of what Holy Communion is. So it's really going to be a great, great way to come back in September. So, with that, we've reached the end of another season. We did get a few in this year, not very many, but we have past the halfway point. Glory to God for all things. And so, my brothers and sisters, it's good to have you with us. I see you had a beautiful chat on the chat room. I hope it was productive. Until next time, God bless you, and don't forget to live a new life in Christ. Be Transfigured is a production of Be Transfigured Ministries in cooperation with the St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Cathedral in Tarpon Springs, Florida. We depend upon your generosity to maintain our ministry. You can make a safe online donation when you visit our website, liveanewlifeinchrist.org.